Tonight's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Look, the pandemic totally changed the way we worked here the last three months. We were able to do podcasts remotely in a way that we never expected. We didn't have a choice, but you just, you never know when things are going to change. Well, a lot of things might change as our world opens up again. One thing won't change. Our presenting sponsor, ZipRecruiter's mission, they'll continue doing what they've always done, helping growing companies hire for their teams, helping people find jobs. If you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people you need by bringing employers and job seekers together. ZipRecruiter, working to help all of us. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the ringer podcast network, where I'm really proud of a lot of the stuff we've done this week. We had, um, great pieces from Tyler Tynes and Justin charity and Brian Phillips. We had podcast, the higher learning podcast with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay, which we launched last week, which is excellent. I highly encourage you to subscribe. Uh, we had Justin charity on the press box podcast. We had Jamal Crawford on the JJ Reddick podcast. We had Larry Wilmore um, weighing in on his podcast, and he's going to be on this podcast at some point soon. Um, but and a lot, a lot more stuff beyond that. But uh, Rachel Lindsay was on the Bachelor Bachelor Party podcast too, talking about the Bachelor and all the crazy stuff they they've done on that show with uh, who they've selected and things like that. But um, this is definitely a moment right now, and. I, you know, it's evolving, but at the same time, I think everybody that has a media company or a website or a podcast network or whatever, trying to figure out how to cover and talk about this. And I, th I think the best thing that anyone can do, myself included, is try to talk to as many people as possible, try to learn from as many people as possible, try to use your platform to educate people and do not let the moment go two weeks from now or three weeks from now, because I do feel like there has been a tipping point. I do feel like good things are going to happen. I'm a generally optimistic person. I know the last uh, eight, nine days has caused me to think about a lot of different things and things that I could do better. And I, I know I'm not alone on that front, but um, you know, this podcast over the next I don't know how many, um, you know, it's going to be a little more unstructured. I'm not sure if I'm going to be doing three a week. We have a lot of responsibilities behind the scenes and there's really some stuff that I want to get moving on and there's only so much time in the day. And so I'm hoping to keep the three podcast a week schedule, but at the same time, it might be a little more erratic than it usually is. So just preparing you now, I really appreciate just everybody out there that has listened to this over, I don't know how many years it's been, 13, 2007, dating back to the ESPN days and have definitely listened to a lot of feedback, especially, you know, going back 20 years, but especially the last week or so. And, you know, it's still meaningful to hear from people and especially th real thoughtful people that really put um, thought into what they wanted to convey and the perspective they had. And I, I think if anything good has come out of the last eight days. I think that the dialogue has gone to a whole other level, um, a really good level in, in a lot of ways. And, 
you know, even you see what happened with the Drew Brees thing, which we'll talk about in a second with CC Sabathia, which started out as a terrible story and I think has evolved into a really good conversation. And I'm sure, you know, there are better ways to kind of get to where that conversation needed to go to. But I think 24 hour span from what he said to where it ended up was valuable. And, and I just think, uh, it's a good way to keep thinking about things as we keep moving here the next two, three weeks that, um, what's actually going to change. What are you going to do? Like you think about campaign zero and DeRay McKesson, which you can check out the eight can't wait, which we talked about on Tuesday, which launched and had a lot of success. And I read a story today that in Pittsburgh, they've already embraced it. And they're and the police department is already embracing all the things in there. And that's one city out of a lot. But at the same time, that's one city and, you know, it's baby steps and it's little things like that, that make me think that this, these last eight days aren't going to be something that, that isn't just doesn't kind of come and go. I don't think that's going to happen this time. And I'm 50 years old. I've, you know, seen some different points in America and in the world, not any of the stuff that happened in the sixties. I was too young, but. I do think this feels different in a lot of different ways. And I know my position as somebody who runs a company and has the ability to affect change in a couple of different ways. And I take that seriously and, and I really want to try to do better and try to contribute to whatever moment we have and whatever moment we need to have going forward. So I, I'm putting a lot of thought into that. So, I'm really excited about the podcast today with CC Sabathia, and uh, we'll get to that in a second. First, Pearl Jam. All right, CC Sabathia is here. You were protesting today in Brooklyn. Tell me about what happened today. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was good. We went out with the family. Um, you know, my kids have been super into this. I have a 16, 14, 11, and 9-year-old. And, I mean, the 9-year-old has been super curious about everything that's going on and, you know, curious about, you know, being able to get killed with the, with the skin color he has, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, everything really that's just going on in America right now, um, you know, after this George Floyd, um, you know, murder, um, you know, we just felt obligated to get out there with the kids and educate them on everything that's going on and, you know, get out there and not just post stuff on social media. You know what I'm saying? So it was fun to be able to get out there with the kids and, and um, you know, really show our support and protest. And, and you know, hopefully I'm, I'm marching and walking and, and going to these rallies with my boys and, and my daughters so they don't have to do it with their kids. And, and, and that's really what it's about is just teaching them. So um, it was a good day today to be able to get out there and, and you know, share with, with some people. And, you know, everybody's going through this, you know, differently. Everybody, you know, goes through things differently. And, and uh, to be able to, to share what we're going through with different people um, was helpful today. Was this the first one that you've gone out with the whole family for? This is the first one we all went to. And actually, we were we were going to go to the one in Brooklyn today. And then there was one in Hackensack, New Jersey, that we were going to go to at 530. But 
Brooklyn took all day, so uh, kind of took it out of us. But um, you know, I think we're going to another one on Saturday over here in in Jersey, and um, you know, my kids are all in. They want to you know do as much um, you know activism, activism. I guess I, I guess it would be called um, you know as they can. So um, we're here to provide it for them and and just take them to whatever they want to go to. How is this moment different for your family and how you talk to your kids compared to 2014 when uh, this, the last time we were here? Yeah, this moment is different for me because um, my 16-year-old will be driving in the fall, um, you know, and he has dreads. Um, you know, he's a big kid, plays sports, and he's going to be out on his own. So, you know, the, the conversations we've been having – before even before this, when he got his permit and you know we were in the car together, his first driving lesson, the first lesson was about how to deal with the police when you get pulled over by the police and what you need to do and not move fast and you know not raise your voice and and not come off as a threat. Um, all these things are things that I have to teach him as a as a driver. You know what I'm saying? Not, I mean, it, it, and it's just insane that I have to teach him that in, in 2020. So. Um, it's, it's different for me this time because, you know, my kids are so much older and are going to have these, um, you know, encounters with the police. And I mean, it's just inevitable that it's going to happen, um, in their lifetime and you just want them to be prepared. So, you know, now I just feel like I'm in a frenzy trying to tell them everything, trying to teach them everything, trying to show them everything. And, um, you know, it's a tough time right now, but that's what, that's what being a parent is, I guess. When so that so your son was born in two thousand four, when two, he was born in two thousand three. Two thousand three. Yeah. So were you thinking you're in the delivery room and you're thinking, man? So I hope when this kid is old enough, there are conversations that I hope I'm not going to have to have. Or do you just know it's inevitable? I, you know what? You just know it's inevitable. I, I think even if we, you know, we weren't in this spot, and you know, you know. Things hadn't happened, you know, the last couple of weeks. I still, you know, that that would still be the topic of every conversation is is how to deal with the police and, you know, how to not make yourself look like a threat. And that's what we have to do as black males in this country as of today. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's what we were out there today in Brooklyn for is is to try to change that. So um, until that's changed, he's that's something that he, he's going to have to deal with. And when he has a kid, if nothing's changed, he's going to have to have the same conversation. So, you know, uh, hopefully all this protesting and people out in the streets, um, not so much the looting, but just the people protesting and people out in the streets um, will, will get things changed. When you're out there, I mean, you got to be getting recognized, right? Like, how do you even handle that whole thing where you're a celebrity out there with a bunch of people? You know what? I think... Uh, New Yorkers just take me as like a regular guy now. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm 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 so I guess in the community all the time, and I'm just out all the time, and I'm I'm around all the time. That is not it's not a big deal. A couple of people noticed me and you know said what's up, but nobody asked to take a picture, nobody anything like that. Um, and that never really happens to me in New York anymore. So I think I just I'm out so much that people are like, oh, it's Cece again. <laughs> that's a, that sounds like you're an official New Yorker now. <laughs> it does, right? And something that I never thought I'd be coming from the West Coast, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think I'm, a, I think I'm officially from the Bronx now. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, going back eight days, when did you know that? When did you know that this moment was going to be different? 
what, um, what, what was the moment? What was the revelation where you're like, oh, this actually might be it. This this could be it. Man, to be honest, like, cause I follow Steven Jackson. Um, just just hearing his reaction when he first posted, the very first post. Um, and that had to be, I think, that Monday night. Um yeah, that that was that was when I was like, man, this this one might be a little different just because, you know, the video had came out and just seeing the optics of it and, you know, the cop on the knee after everybody going through so much for taking the knee. Um, it just seemed like, you know, it was it was a perfect storm for, you know, us to get some change. And obviously people have been locked up for three months. Um, there's nothing to take the the focus off of what's going on. Um, so I think uh, just everything that's been going on in the country the past couple months kind of led us to this moment. And what is what do you think happens the next two weeks? Because we know we know what just happened, and we've heard a lot of people, including myself. I said before we even came on, like this feels different, and I hope this doesn't become a thing where for two weeks people care and then they move on. Yeah, what's got what's going to happen for people not to move on this time? I I think people just gotta. I mean, I obviously keep protesting, um, you know, keep posting. Um, you know, we have to vote this year. You know, you got to, you know, we got to get the right people in office, um, you know, at the at the local and state levels. You know what I mean? And and to try to get some of these things changed. And, you know, maybe maybe some kind of policing of the police that come out of this where, you know, some kind of law where they all have to wear body cams or, you know, just a, just a universal set of laws for all police that you know that that none of them can cross in any state in any town so um you know that's what i'm hoping for is that you know some kind of policing of the actual police force will come out of this because if you watch you know what happened to, to george floyd um and then everybody's out protesting but you know people are still getting ran over by suvs and you know the police are still beating people up on bikes and you know it's just a lot of different things where they're still using a lot of excessive force um, even with the protesters. So um, something's got to change. So we've seen a lot of athletes talk about this stuff using social media and different things. LeBron two times this week, you know, really came in as about as strong as he ever has. Mm -hmm. You're at a different point in your life, right? You, you've had some experience doing media. You've had a full career. You're older, you're wiser. What, what would it be like to be a high profile black athlete in your twenties with that kind of responsibility where everybody is expecting, um, we need you, you need to step up, but you're still trying to figure out who you are as a human yeah. being. Like, what's that like? Yeah, that, that's tough. And, and, and to be honest, if, if there was social media around when I was in my twenties and, and a lot of the social injustice was going on, I wouldn't know how to handle it and how to post. I'm very emotional. So even if you look at my Instagram just the last couple of days, it's a lot of emotional, you know what I mean? It's, it's emotional yeah. stuff on there. So um, it's hard for me to deal with those emotions, especially in the moment. That's why I'm glad I got a couple of days to to do this before we started talking about it. Just because, you know, if if you caught me earlier this week, I probably would have flew off the cuff and said some things that I probably shouldn't say, you know, on, on a podcast. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's hard. And, you know, I talk to Mookie Betts a lot. And we talk about different things and, you know, um, you know, some of these things is hard to, to speak up on. You know, you want you you want your whole fan base to love you. You know what I mean? And some of these things are hard for, um, you know, some 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 fans and, and some people to hear. So, um, 
You know, that, that, that makes it a lot tougher as opposed to somebody like me or, or even somebody like LeBron. LeBron's so good that, you know, as soon as he gets back out there on the court, nobody cares what he tweets. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, but, but those lower level guys, it makes it hard as an athlete, especially an African-American athlete. So much stuff that goes on is, is so much stuff to care about. It's so much social injustice. Um, I mean, you just be, you'd be going crazy. And, and, you know, a, a lot of my career, um, you know, I tried to, for the most part, you know, not really speak on things that um, were outside of sports. You know, in the clubhouse, you know, we talk about different things. We have different arguments and stuff like that. But in the media, I always just tried to steer clear of that stuff just because I didn't want any of the real backlash, to be honest. Well, and you also went from Cleveland then a little cup of coffee in Milwaukee, and then all of a sudden you're in New York. I'm in New York, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a hundred times as many media members. I mean, Cleveland, yeah. how many people were in the clubhouse for an average it, Indians game? It was Sheldon Erlocker and Paul Hoings. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in New York, you have 200 people just waiting for you to fuck up. Yeah. Holding just, the camera I mean, at you. Yeah, I mean, we, we went to the ALCS with the Indians, and we couldn't believe how much media was in the clubhouse. Like, you know, it was just crazy, a swarm. But, like, that's every day in New York. You know what yeah. I'm saying? When I got to New York, and that's literally every day of our of our lives, walking into the clubhouse, it's, you know, 20 to 30 media guys there. Can I ask you about the difference of, of especially black athletes in different sports and how they're not only expected to respond to situations like the last eight days, but it's almost like they fit into these different buckets, right? The basketball players were just used. They have the most leeway. They're the most outspoken. Um, they're the most out there. The football players, all of the stuff that's going on with the actual NFL, not just Kaepernick, but everything else, that's the, you can feel a divide all the time. And we felt it this week with breeze mm -hmm. and then baseball. I don't even know how to describe baseball. I mean, there's less black players now in baseball than there were, I think, when I was growing up loving the Red Sox. Like, yeah. what from, like, you mentioned Mookie Betts, who I think is, you know, probably the highest profile black baseball star that we have. Mm -hmm. what, what are the limits on him? What are the expectations of him in that sport compared to a sport like basketball? I don't think, to be honest, I don't think they're that high. You know, and I don't I don't think they're like a basketball or a football player just because there's so few of us in the game, you know, and, and for us, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, with so many few black, you know, baseball players, it's hard to even have a conversation about it because you're sometimes the only one in the locker room. You know yes. what I mean? So a lot of a lot of times, a lot of the stuff don't even come up like you're having these conversations with your friends and people that you're closest with and not really your teammates because there's probably only one of you on the team. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that that that's where, you know, some of us not speaking up all the time um, comes from because you will be the only one in the locker room most of the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you think about the past couple of years, it's, it's been me, Aaron, I mean, Aaron Judge, um, Giancarlo, and, and Aaron Hicks in the clubhouse. We had Cameron Mabin. Like, we have, we've always had a lot of, a lot of, African American or black black guys on our on our on our roster with the Yankees, but every team isn't like that. So a lot of the times you won't have the support that you think you will stepping up and 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 speaking on these social issues. So um, I think that's where a lot of the quietness comes from 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 a lot of the younger baseball players until 
you get to a point where, where you're like me when you got old kids and you're a lot older and you can just, you just feel, you know, you want to say whatever you want. It's also a sport that intentionally penalizes you in a lot of ways, not, not overtly, but they don't want individual expression. They don't, you think about even stuff as, as innocent as like a bat flip. Oh, you mm -hmm. broke the code. <laughs> oh, you're showing him up. I, I'm, and, I'm, hopefully we move him out of that phase where the showing you up and breaking the code and all of that stuff can get out of the game, hopefully really soon. It's the most orderly of all the sports. It is. Where it's just like, no, no, this is how we've done it since the 1890s. This <laughs> and is, you have to do it this way. Yeah, you got to respect the code. you're not playing the game the right way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just I weird. I hate that. It doesn't reflect real life at all. I always hated he, he don't play the game the right way. Well, what the fuck does that mean? Right. He don't play the game the right way. Does he, does he run hard? Does he run the bases hard? He treat his teammates right? Well, he's playing the game the right way. You know what I'm saying? Like any other, any anything outside of that, I don't give a fuck about. Is like I have, I don't care at all. We had Manny, who is my second favorite Red Sox player ever. Yeah, and he who's the first? Who would be the first? Well, Fred Lynn was my like first guy. Okay, when I was growing up as a kid, he was our center fielder. I had his all his cards, all that stuff. And then when we got Manny, you know, we had him. I think for eight and a half years, but um, he was just such an individual and. You know, baseball is such a unique sport where you're with these guys staying down for six months mm -hmm. and it's kind of mm -hmm. boring. It's always on. You're kind of half paying attention. And then just with him and everybody in baseball would get so mad at him for all these different things he did. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and meanwhile, he's just like this innocent, simple guy, but he just couldn't help himself. And in Boston, it played in a really fascinating way where people embraced it early. Then they turned Then they hated it. Then they let them, they were back in. It was really dependent <laughs> on whether we were winning or not. I was about and to then, say, it, 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 yeah. always, it, it, ever, it only depends on if they're winning or not. When they win the World Series, then it's Manny being Manny. And then when if it's not, then he's, he's killing the franchise. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I always felt like he cared. That was, I always thought, I always started from there with him. But I just, I've never seen anything like him. And when he left, it was the team, even though we won a couple more World Series and we had some great guys, but the team was never quite the same. From a person, it's just he was so unique, and I just from personality, would, from a personality standpoint, yeah. no, no doubt. I mean, he was so. I mean, even with Johnny Damon too, like you guys had some crazy person, like Millar. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, it was it was a bunch of like wild personalities just slapped together on a couple teams. So that yeah, I can I can see that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, that was probably the only reason we won in '04 is that team was so crazy. Yeah, that was and, the only way you're gonna flip a curse. You know, I was you, about felt, to say, you felt that, that in Cleveland, where you it's the the fan base and the and all this baggage that the franchise has, it, it actually falls on the players. Nah, no doubt. And and like I said, my biggest disappointment my whole career is not winning the championship in 07. Letting the Red Sox come back, we were up three one. Young team, very talented team. I think the 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 most talented team in the league at the time to, for me. Um, you know, we were the better team. They were just more experienced. Um, and we didn't know how to close a, 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 a series out. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, we let them come back and they ended up being, beating the Rockies. I think they swept the Rockies that year, which would have been a, a huge, huge, huge World Series for us in Cleveland. And we kind of let that one slip through the cracks, just being young guys, you know? The Rockies, you, beating the Indians was definitely our World Series that year. Yes. Like, you guys had the best team. We, we 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 had the best team, but I didn't pitch like I should have. If I pitch the way 
I pitched at the end of 08 or even in the 09 playoffs, um, then we win the World Series. But I was just, I was young um, and, and wanted all the pressure, you know, I wanted all the glory. Like I wanted, I wanted to be the reason why we won. I wanted to be the ALCS MVP, the World Series MVP. I wanted it all. And I ended up being the reason why we fucking lost the series. <laughs> it's so weird to hear somebody talk about a Red Sox team as a team that took something from them. My, <laughs> right. My first 30 years of my life was just pain and falling short. And then some, <laughs> I don't know, somehow it flipped a little bit. Let's take a break to talk about FanDuel Sportsbook. UFC 250 is coming up on June 6th. There's no better way to bet the fights than on FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sports betting app for a reason. They've got the most simple interface of any sportsbook I've seen. They make it easy to get started and fund your account. And once you win, they get your cash fast. You know, they want me to talk about here what I like about FanDuel Sportsbook. I like all sportsbooks. I'm a bad person to ask, but... I do like that they have the special offers, especially for new users. And uh, you can sign up with my code BS. You'll get exclusive plus 250 odds on Nunez to beat Spencer at UFC 250. Nunez is the favorite, but with this odds boost, you can bet up to 20 bucks and get up to 50 if she wins. She's unbelievable. <laughs> here's, here's, here's one rule. Don't bet against her. That, that I know enough about UFC and I've seen enough of her fights to know that I will not be betting against her until she loses. But you have to use my promo code BS. FanDuel Sportsbook promo code BS. 21 plus present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, West Virginia, and Colorado. First online wager only, except in Colorado. Must wager in designated offer market. $10 minimum. First deposit required. $50 max bonus. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. In Colorado, call 800-522-4700. What was your first year with the Indians? 2002, 03? 01. 01. Yeah, so, I came up in 01. And LeBron's a high schooler at that point. LeBron was, I think he might have been in the 10th grade at that time. He might have been a sophomore Are you hearing school. about him at that point? No, I was going to see him. So our, um, our ref, our... Um, trainer, our head trainer, Paul Spacuza, was a high school and AAU referee. And they used to bring all the top prospects and even some of the younger um, big league guys to Cleveland in January for this thing called winter development. We would get a host family. we stay up there for a month and a half and then go down to Winter Haven for spring training. So during that time, you know, Paul used to always tell me, you got to come see this kid play. I'm like, man, I'm not going to see no fucking high school kid play. Like, there's no <laughs> chance I'm going to watch this. He told me his whole freshman year, he's like, you got to come see him play. You got to come see him play. I'm like, no chance. He was like, so I get I get up there the, the winter of 2000. Had to be the winter of 2000. And uh, maybe it was the winter of 2001. And he was like, all right, he's playing across the street. Like, I mean, right here, we can just walk over there. Like, let's go see him play. And I was like, and I went, I walked over, went to go see him play. And he was, he was literally what he is now. He was a grown man. Like, yeah, it was unbelievable. You could just see that he was going to be a superstar at, at that age. And just, you know, as long as he didn't get hurt, as long as, you know, shit didn't happen. Like he was going to be the guy. It was, it was insane to watch him. Yeah. There was a whole thing at, 
at least for a tiny bit where people were like, are we sure he's the age he's supposed to be? Right. Yeah. He was, they were talking about like, maybe he was older and is is he 25? But then when you, (laughs) when you look back at the pictures of him in high school, he really does look young. Cause you think like he's really, now we know what a grown man LeBron looks like. Cause he grew into one. But yeah, um, he he looked he looked really young, and he even his game was a lot young. I mean, his body, you know, what I'm saying like he was a lot skinnier. Got a chance to see him play football a couple times. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I got a chance to see him play football a couple times. He's he's a, he's a great receiver. Um, Wait. He could he could have easily did that if he wanted to. So um, yeah, man, he was he was fun to watch, and it was fun to be up there at that time. You know, Northeast Ohio. Um, you know, watching him do his thing. So. For me, he's the only he's the only athlete that's been under that much pressure at the age of 15, 16 years old and delivered. Whatever delivering is. You know what I'm saying? Won a championship in Cleveland. You know, he's got three rings. He's, the you know, one of the best players on the planet. Like, there's never been a guy on the cover of Sports Illustrated at that age that's been able to deliver. Yeah, it's funny because um, we're doing this documentary we have on HBO that's actually going to come out in July called Showbiz Kids about child actors and what happens to them after, you know, how hard it is to become famous when you're young and, and just all the different ways it can go. And you think of LeBron and he, he's almost like a child actor, right? We get to know him when he's 15 and he's getting all this stuff thrown at him that we have just seen go really badly for a lot of different people. And I'm with you. I think he's handled it from start to finish probably the best out of anybody. I, I I actually think he'd be the number one ranked guy for how have you handled this? The worst thing he ever did was the decision, which was ultimately the only thing that hurt was him. Yeah. I mean, he's open schools. I mean, there, there's nothing this guy hasn't done. Like he's, you know, he's a global icon and he wears it well. Like he's a family man, you know, he does everything right. Like, like you said, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's probably the, he's the number one guy as far as like how to handle you know, all that success. And, and I mean, he, I mean, he did wear his friends. Yeah. I mean, rich and math too. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. He did wear a Yankee hat to your playoff game though. He's a Yankee fan. He's a I know. I'm, fan. Ju- I'm just pointing yeah. that out. Don't like him yeah, too much. He did. He, he did really get you. He's a Yankee fan. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, in 16, he was all Indians when they were, when they were playing. The, oh, he <laughs> the flipped Cubs in, the, in the world series. Yeah. He flipped. <laughs> oh, so he's a sports bigamist. He had two teams. He's yeah, like he's, two wives. Yeah, for sure. But like, if I see him, he'll always like go back to his Yankees. You know what I'm saying? But I think 16, they were just feeling it so much that uh, he went back. He went back to Cleveland, which is good for him. Did you get to know him when he was on the Cavs the first time around? When he was, when you're on the Indians, he's on the Cavs. Both of you guys are on the ascent. They make the 07 finals. You should have won the 07 World Series. Like, what was there any parallel stuff going on? Yeah, for sure. I knew him. I, I, I've known him th- this whole time. I was really, I've always been really close with Wes, um, and and you know him and LeBron and Wes are really close. And and I grew up with with Drew Gooden, and Drew played in Cleveland uh, those that first time around. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean, I was I was around all the time because, like I said, literally me and Drew grew up together. Still, really close friends. Our wives are really close. So um, I was around all the time when in, you know in those early years for sure. Cleveland then after that, the, the thing people don't know about you, and we've talked a couple of times, is uh, you're just a gigantic sports fan, which I'm, <laughs> yeah. always, I'm always amazed when somebody who was that successful in a sport is also really well-versed in other sports because I don't understand how people have time to actually like legit follow because Jalen was like this too. 
where Jalen was a huge football fan. I'm like, how the fuck did you follow football when you were (laughs) making $20 million a year to play for the Pacers? But, uh, but you follow this stuff when, when it fell apart for Cleveland, LeBron leaves, the Indians thing falls apart. Like what did you, how bad did you feel that? Did you just think that was it? They're never winning. They're screwed for life. I felt horrible because I'm a part. I was. I'm a part of that history. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a part of that that history that fucked up Cleveland sports history. Where, damn, like if CC pitched better, we we win a World Series. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't want to be a part of the, like that Ernest Bynum. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't yeah. want to be a part of that, but I am. Like, and, and yeah, it was tough, and especially this is gonna sound weird, but like especially coming here and then winning in 09, and then like LeBron left that year. Like you know what I'm saying? It was just. I felt guilty, yeah, for sure. I mean, I like, I like, I mean, I, I think I've told you this. You know, Cleveland, I, I feel like is home. You know, one of places where I kind of grew up. You know, I got there when I was twenty years old. I had, all, you know, three of my kids were born there. Um, you know, it's just like a, a place that I, I consider, you know, to be like home. And and you know, to not be able to deliver a championship there, it really sucks. I still think about it all the time. Yeah, you had the typical baseball player arc, but the best version of it, the Cleveland part, sucked obviously. But you get pennant pennant trade to Milwaukee, but then you actually got to like pitch in the playoffs and kind of make a run there. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the big landscape and you sign with the Yankees. And by the way, uh, not to be a dick to the Yankee fans listening, but that's their only title since 2000. I just want to mention <laughs> that, but you sign there and, and it actually is the rare giant free agent signing and it works and they win a world, a world series, which FYI with baseball, that usually is not how it plays out. Usually they sign the guy. It's a disaster. He makes so much money. The fans turn on him a month in and <laughs> it goes down this whole other path. But for you, it was the opposite. Yeah, it was. And like I said, I mean, everything was such a learning experience after, you know, 07, winning the Cy Young, pitching horribly, horribly in the playoffs and kind of losing us the World Series. Oh, wait, I come back the next, I come back the next year. Um, get off to a horrible start in the first half and then pitch great down the, down the stretch and get that Milwaukee kind of like playoff games. Those are, those were like playoff games at the end of the year. Like those last three or four starts, like we had to win those games and I'm pitching on three days rest. So, you know, it's, it's in high, like everything's heightened like the playoffs. So, you know, I get to the next year, I'm a Yankee and I've, I've just did this. I just went down the stretch in Milwaukee pitching three days rest. Like I'm going to do this the whole playoffs. Like there's, there's no problem. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it was like a, it was a progression for me. Like a lot, you know, I, I feel like some athletes get it where they just kind of like can just kind of flip the switch where they can lock in. It's playoff time. They can lock in and, and dominate. And I think it took me, you know, those, those 07, 08, and then leading up to 09 to be able to to turn into the pitcher that I wanted to be in October. Reps. Reps. Some guys don't need reps, though. Some guys don't need reps, but I needed reps for sure. This was my case. I got in a shit because I was mad that Devin Booker didn't play for Team USA last year. Uh-huh. And I was like, that guy's never played a meaningful basketball game. I If he goes and plays Team USA, the pressure of that, and then everybody got mad at me. <laughs> he, he doesn't want to get hurt. The blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, maybe there's no right answer, but I still feel like I'm right to the degree of reps better. Yeah, and but Dev- Devin Booker's great. I want to see him in situations when it's like the cra- you're down five and the crowd's fucking going nuts and you have to come through. And sometimes you just don't know with people until they've been in that spot. 
You never know. But but do you think that the guys that go play for Team USA when they spend that summer playing, they come back the next year like at another level? Maybe it's yes. just because they work out with, with everybody else that's great and, you know, you get different workout routines and stuff like that or it's just a practice or whatever. But the, the guys that come back from Team USA, the Olympic years and the years that they have to qualify, I feel like they have the better seasons when they come back that next year. It's irrefutable that there's like legit statistical evidence for it. And I think it's, I think being around guys, not only just the level of competition every day, but is it especially happened in 08 when you have older players and you have the younger guys who think they know everything, but they really mm -hmm. don't. And that team had Wade and Carmelo and LeBron and some other guys. And they're watching Kobe, who's a lunatic at the time. And you know, is who he is. And they're watching that and they're going, oh man, okay, so that's what I have to do. That's what you got to do. <laughs> and I think that's that. And you look at all three of those guys were great in the uh, 08, 09 season, but I, I think that's the most underrated thing. I think when great players are around other great players, I'm sure you felt this at the Yankees because the, the Yankees had a huge payroll and a lot of great players. I'm sure you're learning, you know, different pieces from whoever that you, maybe you wouldn't be learning if you're on the Florida Marlins on a 62 win team. Yeah, 1,000%. Like, <clears throat> coming here and getting to play with Andy, Mo, you know, A-Rod, Jeter, all these different guys, you know, first you're learning, you are learning, but then it just takes the pressure off. It unlocks your game because I don't have to go out and throw a shutout. Like, yeah. I don't have to go out and throw a shutout to win the game. I can pitch eight great innings, give the ball to Mo, and the fucking game's over. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to go out and strike out 15. I can put the ball, throw my two-seam, put the ball on the ground, let A-Rod, G, Robbie Cano, Teixeira do their thing. Like, it just kind of unlocks your game when you play around so many other great players because you don't have to do too much. You know what I'm saying? That's not, And that's not a knock on anybody else I play with. It's just uh, like a compliment to, the, to these great Yankees that I got a chance to play with. And, you know, a lot of them are Hall of Famers. So, yeah, I mean, for sure, being around other great athletes, um, you know, for me, it just took the pressure off. And and two, I learned a lot from, I mean, I wouldn't have had the second half of my career, you know, not knowing that cutter from Andy and Mo. So, yeah, I mean, you, you learn so much, man. It, it, it's crazy. And and I just always think about the guys from Team USA that, you know, they go and play that summer and then they come back and just kill it the next year. It's, it's amazing to watch. You know, when you signed with the Yankees, I'm sure there were a lot of reasons, right? It was a lot of money. It's a really good team. You want to win a title. You want to live in a big city or adjacent to a big city, things like that. But you don't, did you fully realize the Rivera part of it? Like how good he was? Just what, what, it, uh, what an asset that would be in your life to just know that somebody was lurking in the ninth inning that was just going to shut down whatever you had just done in the yeah, best no, way. I had no idea how awesome that would be. Like, cause I'm always, I was just always conditioned when I was younger to finish it. Like, I'm always out there. Like, if I don't finish this fucking game, like I'm pissed, you know? And then it was just like, let me just go eight. You know what I'm saying? Like, this guy's the best pitcher of all time ever in the bullpen. Like, I would get excited. Like, I'd be like, Joe, you're not taking me out. Like, a couple times he let me go. And I'm like, Joe, like, you know, Moe's down there. I could just go up, take a shower, slap five, you know what I'm saying? In 10 minutes, like. It was uh it was a great ass asset to have, and I think I kind of took it for granted because when he wasn't there, then you get to see like how how scary right. the ninth inning really is. It's funny, my my son really got into football this year, and for some reason, he, you know, because he's a twelve and a half year old kid, and he loves lists and who's the greatest, and 
So we always talk about Rice and LT and all these guys. And it's, it's a shorter list than you think when you're rattling off, you know, the greatest players. And I always tell them like, I'm 50. I've seen basically, I can remember everybody from the mid seventies on here, here are like the seven guys that stood out. If I did that for baseball, I don't know who I would start with before him. And I don't think he's seen as the greatest player of all time, but I'm just talking about my lifetime where I think a guy's like, who's a one of one, who is somebody that was completely unlike anybody else that was in your life as a sports fan. And I think for baseball, like he just kind of, he's like kind of over here and then you yeah. could, you could litigate all the other stuff and all the other great players I've seen and all these different positions, great starters. But he's like kind of over here on the side while you argue about everybody else, right? He is. And, and I think if if you would just ask just anybody that, that question randomly, they probably wouldn't put him in their list. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because he is just off to the side over here, like just this, just one of one, like you said. So, yeah, I mean, it makes it kind of weird when you're having those conversations of like, who's the greatest guy, who's the greatest baseball player you've ever seen? And you don't mention his name because... He was so dominant for so long with one pitch. He threw one pitch. You know what I'm I saying? Know. Like later in his career, when I when I got to know him, he started throwing a two seamer a little bit, but I mean he dominated with one pitch. And, you know, whether it was April 1st or October 31st, he's out there, same demeanor. Um, you know, if we lose, he's back out there the next day. You know, just it, it just, I mean, I've never seen anybody so even killed, man. It, it's crazy. We were just going at him, you know, that unbelievable Red Sox Yankees stretch, which you missed. I think by the time you got there, the rivalry wasn't the same, but we'd play them like 18 times. Plus mm -hmm. if we met in the playoffs, another five to seven. And it always felt like such an achievement. If we got a run off them <laughs> in a way that it just didn't feel like with any other pitcher. You know, there's been a lot of great pitchers who had awesome seasons and great stretches. And that's the only guy where like, even in 04, when the, the famous, you know, getting a run in the Robertsdale and then yeah. game five, we got it. It was just so unbelievable to watch. And it wasn't even, they were like cheap runs. It's like, walk, it was like jam shots. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, <laughs> you feel like you, 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 uh, really accomplished something unbelievable. And then when he came, they were the first game when, we rose the banner in 05 uh -huh. and they introduced all the guys and Rivera got introduced and the Fenway fans go nuts. Cause it was kind of <laughs> like sarcastic, like, thanks. You were, you were there when it all turned and he kind of owned it. He just raised Tip his hand <laughs> and it was just, he was the one guy that we kind of really liked. We yeah. I, just out of pure respect. It was, it was, it was just weird to be like, I fucking hate that guy. Like nobody felt that way with him. You, and you know, you, you know what's crazy about Mo is, like I said, he was always he was always exactly the same. Um, you you know, you you're right. It's it's hard for people to hate him, but he was just always so helpful too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think like at All Star games, he would help different players and different pitchers. So I think the respect that the players have for him maybe kind of rubbed off as the fans too. You know what I mean? Like because he had so much respect from everybody really around the league and still does. Um, well, I think it's, 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 it's kind of hard to hate Mo, like seriously, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It feels that I don't know. It's, it's, uh, listen, I've managed to find hate in my heart for every Yankee ever that's <laughs> going against us sports hate, not real hate, but you know, one thing with him, there's a serenity about him 
and I always hear teammates talk about that, that it would weirdly have this calming effect on teammates too. And I also don't know anybody else I've ever heard, at least in baseball, that you heard other people talk about that. There was a, an aura about him that actually gave them kind of calm. Is that true? Did you feel that? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, the, my calm was like knowing he was in the bullpen. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like knowing he was down there. And to your point, like I remember a couple of times, like he would give up runs in the ninth. Say we were up by three, he'd give up a run. Like it felt like the other team like felt like they walked him off. Like we still won the game, but everybody's like there over there slapping five and shit. Like, yeah, we might be able to win tomorrow. Like we just scored a run off Mo. Like that shit gave people confidence. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, it's a trip, man. It was a trip playing with him and watching him do his thing. It was fun. Definitely a well, blessing. What was uh, the least surprising thing about Yankee fans once you spent an entire decade with them? And what was the most surprising thing about Yankee fans? I hate Yankee uh, fans, by the way, but I'm going to ask. <laughs> I think the least surprising thing is that they're very knowledgeable. Like they know they know baseball, you know what I'm saying? And that's what I think as a player and to be able to play here for, I think I played 11 or 12 years, I think 11 years. Um, they hold you accountable. Like, like you're always... Like, I'm working out in the offseason in January thinking about, like, man, I can't get booed off the field. And you know what I'm saying? Like, that really is a part of your psyche as a Yankee is the fans and how you have to respect them and go out and give your best effort every time. And I think that's where our love, our mutual love and respect came from is because they knew every time I went out there, I was going to give them 150. My whole heart was going to be left out there in the Bronx every time. And I think they respected that, whether it was good or bad or whatever. That's just who I was and how I played. So I think it worked out good for me to to like be so emotional and wear my heart on my sleeve and go out there and do the things that I did. And I think, you know, we we had that mutual appreciation for each other um, because I guess I played so hard. You know, some guys can't handle that because I think Boston and New York and Philly and a couple other cities, they're all kind of like that, right? And they mm -hmm. have such high expectations that people either rise to the expectations or they literally cave. They go the other way. They just can't handle it. Um, can can you see the other side of that? Can you see when, when somebody just, you know, like we had guy like Carl Crawford's a good example of somebody. Yeah. You always hear the words, he wasn't meant to play in Boston. It's like, why isn't somebody meant to play in a city like that? Um, you know, I know Carl, we, we, we grew up together. I'm mean, not grew up together. We came up together, had the same agent. I think that, for Carl, I think Boston was just too small of a city. I think, you know, he wanted to go out and go to dinner, do different things and stuff like that. And I think, you know, Boston wasn't going to allow him to be able to to do those things. And and I think, it, you know, it just became baseball, baseball, baseball. And that got hard on him. I think f for me, no, I, I mean, it, it's hard for me to see it any other way than how it played out for me because I put so much pressure on myself. Yeah. That like it, you know, like that I appreciate what they make you go through, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because that's that's how I am on myself. Like that's how hard I am on myself. Like I'm I mean, I'm pissed if I don't go seven, eight innings, you know, when I'm younger. Like if I don't go out there and dominate every time and feel like I dominated that team, you know, I didn't feel like I did my job. So um I I appreciate it, you know, being held to that high ass standard. Um because that's what I held myself to, and 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 I never expected anything else um, from myself. And and you know, in, in a different way, you know, I, I got four. I had you know three kids when I first came here. I had my fourth in 2010, and you know, when I left the ballpark, I would come home and and just hang out with them. Um, 
You know, once I left the field, I left everything, whether it was a good or bad game, they didn't care. Seven runs, a no-hitter, they don't give a shit. His dad's home and it's time to, you know, hang out and play. And, and that's what I think allowed me to, you know, to like flip the switch, like leave it at the stadium, come home, you know, hang out, do my thing, and then be able to go back and, and turn it back on. So um, my, my family well, helped me big time in that way. Well, nowadays, you'd only, if you were 25, you'd only have to worry about six innings and 94 pitches. And right. Then you'd be done. I'd be done. <laughs> like, I can live in this era, bro. Like, that's why I said, like, y'all want to go to six starters? Like, I only need to go five innings? Like, towards my towards the end of my career, it was like, they was catering this shit for me. Like, <laughs> Right. Uh, I interrupted you before you answered what was the most surprising thing about Yankee fans? Um, I don't know if anything surprised me about Yankee fans. Um, All right, that could I be mean, the answer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if anything. So I was ready for everything, you know what I mean? And I was, I was terrified, to be honest. Did they um, have the new stadium yet? Yeah. They the, did, right? 09 yeah. was the first year. 09 was the first year. And that was Sign. a big part of me signing here was, like, I had played in Cleveland, and that was kind of a new stadium had opened in, in 94, and I got in there in 01. So, like, I wasn't all about going to Dodgers. I, I, I really thought I was going to be a Dodger. I thought the, the Dodgers were going to come after me hard, you know, heavy. And being a West Coast guy, I thought that's where I would end up. But I wasn't really excited about playing in, like, old Dodger Stadium with the old clubhouse and, like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, I was excited to get here and have a new clubhouse and kind of start over with, with obviously, one of the, you know, most story franchises in baseball history, but have a new, but have a new stadium. Hey, just wanted to tell you about a couple new offerings from the Ringer Podcast Network. If you haven't listened to Boom Bust, the rise and fall of HQ, hosted by Alyssa Bereznak, we are a few episodes in, and it is an amazing story. And if you like narrative podcasts, I highly recommend that one. Also, we launched Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay, which was a long time coming. I'm glad it's finally here on the. Uh, podcast network, including like when the pandemic happened, we just thought, all right, we won't be able to do this until, until we can all get everybody in the same room. And then once we kind of figured out how to do stuff remotely, the podcast was able to come together. So that's been awesome. Please check that out. They do it twice a week. And I just think they're great together. And I, I really, uh, I really enjoy them. And, um, it's knowing them personally for a while to actually see the podcast kind of match what I had in my head has been a pretty cool experience. So Check that out and check out everything we're doing on the Ringer Podcast Network. Back to this one. There's two baseball questions we just have to quickly talk about. No worries. And then I, and then I don't want to talk about baseball anymore. <laughs> you mentioned Mookie. Uh-huh. One of top five favorite Red Sox player for me. Um, incredibly important player just for the history of the franchise. A signature black superstar in his prime or hitting his prime. Um, the kind of guy that when I was growing up, we had either always screwed it up with, or, you know, I, I, when I was growing up reading about the Red Sox, like a racist tradition. Yeah. And I was people, going, I was going to ask, have you, have they ever had a, like a Mookie? I mean, I guess Jim Rice maybe, right? Yeah. I mean, Jim Rice was incredible. Um, but I mean, obviously not, I mean, Mookie. we've had minority players, but, um, Mookie was Mookie had a chance to be one of the top five guys in the league um, for 15 years yeah. uh, for a position player, something like that. And Jim Rice was an incredible hitter. He peaked for three years. He had a big, you know, he had a couple other big seasons, but was really an offensive player. It wasn't, I was telling you when we talked on the phone once about just 
how incredible Mookie was at everything. Mm-hmm. Like we had never had a player who was just like, what's he bad at? And you're just like, nothing. The guy's great at every single part of baseball. But um, that's his whole life. Every yeah. aspect of his life he's great at. Like he can bowl 300, he can he can shoot 62 on the golf course, like he can dunk, he can like he can do everything. And so we lose him. And not only are you losing the player, but you're also losing somebody that I felt like could have been important in the city and and was. And why do you think he left? Or why um, do you think I, he wanted to leave? I don't I don't know, honestly. Um I mean, maybe it could have been like that same thing, like where, you know, he wants to go out and do different things and like he's like we talked about, Boston won't allow you to do that stuff. Um, you know, things change all the time in these organizations and, you know, the AL East is hard, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't know what what what, what, what which way the organization is going. You know what I mean? You always want to be especially in this division, you always want to be at the top of this division because it can be long summers. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, maybe just a combination of, you know, some of that stuff off the field and maybe not knowing where the organization is going kind of led for them to trade. And honestly, I mean, they traded him. They didn't have to. You know what I'm saying? Like, so they, I mean, they could have. They could have. I think they felt like he was, I think they felt like he was leaving, which I would not have, I still would have played it out. I still would have played it out. Or even waited until like what the Orioles did with Manny or what the Indians did with me. You know what I'm saying? Like waited Trade out to, to the middle of next summer and, and see what happens. Yeah. They were afraid to do that. And, um, that leads me to question number two, because it actually might've turned out to be a good trade if there's no baseball this season. <laughs> um, what, uh, I, it's an appalling trade and one of my least favorite Red Sox trades ever. But if, if we have a canceled season, maybe it'll be justifiable. But, um, <laughs> Especially if he don't sign back with the Dodgers. Then right, right. <laughs> Do you think uh, we have baseball this year? You know what? I, I think it has to get done in the next couple, 10 days. Like, it has to get done pretty quick if you're going to start, you know, sometime in July. Just because, you know, I feel like guys are kind of in off-season mode right now where right. nobody, you don't really know if you're playing. Guys are starting to lift, you know, like they're in the off-season. Uh, maybe not throwing as much as they were early because, you know, you didn't know if you were going to be going for a week or two. It's been three months, you know what I'm saying? So um, they need to get something going pretty quick because I feel like they need a longer spring training in three weeks just because of they t- the guys took so much time off. So uh, this is going to take a little longer than three weeks to get people back to where there is no injuries or or unless you're going to let them carry 30, 30 to 35 guys. Uh are you are you allowed to celebrate if you win the World Series after a fifty game season, or maybe like we just use cheap beer? We use like, no. I, I don't, like what do we do? You 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 allowed to celebrate the World Series or or a Super Bowl or NBA championship at any at any time. Okay. I don't care if it's so a you're, lockout. You're I don't care if you play <laughs> the basketball. I don't play if you care if you play fifteen games and football. I don't care if you play four games. If you win a championship, you're allowed to celebrate. You don't think they should have a mini trophy, like a half trophy? Nah, the trophy, the trophy could be the same, but it, it don't have to be Ace of Spade in the cl- in the locker room. Like <laughs> we can get a little different champagne, but nah, championships are championship, man. That, them things are hard to come by for sure. Like, and and if you out there playing and the other teams playing hard as they they can, and you you know you win a championship, you don't want nobody to take that away from it or put an asterisk on it or anything like that. Championships are championship. Well, if the Red Sox win, there will be no asterisk for me. I, I, I'm just like, it's legit. What are you guys talking about? If anyone else wins, I'm just like, ah, it didn't matter. 
Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I feel like we passed a point of no return about two weeks ago. Because, mm -hmm. like, imagine, let's say you're 29 year old you. What's your routine oh, yeah. right now? What are you? 29, how are, 20, how are you getting ready right now? What? It, where are you mentally? You have no idea when the baseball is coming back. Nah, 29-year-old me is eating a lot of Wendy's and drinking a lot of Hennessy, bro. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting ready to, to pitch in the middle of the summer. And I definitely don't want to go to Tampa in the middle of the fucking summer to have spring training. Right. Like, no, thank you, bro. Like, not at all. So I think if I was in my prime, I'd probably be just sit this year out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, out my, my elbow. <laughs> yeah, I do think if baseball did like quickly and abruptly come back, I do think some of the body sizes will be interesting. To, it, it to was, it's going to be very interesting to see. You're going to see who worked hard during quarantine and who kind of like would do the shit that I would that I would have did at 29. And by the way, might be the same for the NBA because you have these. Initially, we thought it was going to be a 16 team playoff. Potentially, that's it. Now we have 22 teams. I guarantee there's going to be three or four guys who have not done anything for three months. Or even like somebody like Harden that's lost 20 pounds. Like that scares me. Like he's lost 20 Is that pounds. true? That's what they said. I mean, I seen a picture of him and then somebody said that he's lost 15 to 20 pounds. Wow. Which is gonna, which is, that's right. That's what I'm like, man. I mean, it, it takes you a while to get into that new body and like to figure things out, like was with less weight and like his, the way his game is built, like. LeBron and Melo tried that, and it, that, you know, like, that shit don't work, losing that much weight. I mean, I tried it. I lost, you know what I'm saying? It didn't work for me. Like, it's hard as an athlete to just lose that much weight and then expect you to come back at the same strength and even, you know, cardio and everything. So it'll be interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting. But I, I think those guys are at a higher risk of getting injured than baseball players. Oh. If they do, whenever they do come back. Agree. Especially if... uh I think the biggest thing that's changed with the league the last 15 years is how much time, energy, and attention they every, the good guys spend on their bodies. Mm -hmm. Even guys like Harden, who has the famous reputation of like, oh yeah, go, go to the strip club and wake him up at six o'clock. And, but that guy work, that guy works as hard on his game as anybody. And that's a little yeah. unfair that that's a reputation. Um, and I think that's why they're able to play these 30, 35, 36, 3,700 minute seasons when you include the playoffs mm -hmm. and go to the free throw line, you know, 10 times a game, 11 times a game. Harden's just like, a, he's like fucking Emmett Smith in the early nineties, just pounding, <laughs> bouncing off guys. And if he's, if his body isn't right, I'm with you. I, I do think there's going to be some injuries. We've seen it in every lockout season. There's always been stuff. In 99, it happened. In 2012, it happened. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Plus you're compacting the games you're playing more games in a condensed rate and uh, yep. it's worrisome, but um, I, I actually like where they settled with it. Did you like it? The 22 team and the, and the whole thing really trying to have a real season. Yeah. I'm, I'm not mad at it at all. I mean, it, you know, I would have been happy if they came back with 30 teams. I just know some of those teams didn't want, like the Warriors don't want Steph going out there to play. You know what I'm saying? Like the Nets don't need, you know, Kevin Durant or, you know, Kyrie trying to come back. But, um, no, I'm, I'm excited. I love NBA. So any NBA that we get, and now that they're starting July 31st, I, I feel like they they gave guys, I, think, I feel like they've given guys time now to get in shape. Right. Like, hey, listen, we start July 31st. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're giving y'all, like, six to eight weeks to, like, 
get your shit together so we can, you know, so we can have a season and, and not have some of these have some of these guys get hurt. But for me, the biggest thing is, you know, they'll be done. Will they be done in October? I think yeah, it's it seems it's a little floating because if series end early, they might be able to speed up the next series. To speed it up. Because they don't there's but, no uh, travel. Everybody can just play every true. other day. But um now the season will start in December. They they no way they come back and, and start the season regularly, right? No, but dude, After this. don't you like that though? The the Christmas if love it started it. on Christmas and went all the way through love July. It. I'm in. I love it. I'm in for this. Like I'm so excited about this for next summer. And like what it potentially means for us, like going to games in the summertime, NBA late in the summer, like that's going to be legit for like us fans. I know it's going to suck for the players because they get their summer taken away. But like as a NBA fan, like I'm super excited for them to start on or around Christmas. Um, You know, we get a full NFL season, not have to start worrying about basketball. I can lock in on my fantasy teams because the Raiders suck after like fucking eight weeks. But (laughs) um no, I'm I'm excited to be able for them to start, you know, late mid December and go through July. It's gonna be fun for us fans, I think. Yeah, but notice who you left out. The big loser. Baseball. Yeah, baseball gets crushed. Uh, but but the fans don't start watching baseball till August anyway. Yeah, the but the thing is gonna crush. Bad, it's gonna though. crush for us. Yeah, I mean, the thing is gonna crush for us is the All Star Game. I think that baseball should move the All Star Game back to after the NBA season's over. Especially if they have in the finals in, in July. You know what I mean? I think I think we should move the All-Star game back. But I think, I mean, the baseball, the people that love baseball, the fans are gonna find a way to watch it. And and I think, you know, the casual fan, sports fan, they don't really start watching baseball until August, September anyway. Well, maybe we'll end up with a shorter season, which I feel like we probably baseball should add season? anyway. Yeah. Maybe we Nah, we I don't. I don't think. I don't think they'll ever change the the length really? of the season. Really? Why not? I don't think so. I I think guys like to play 162. I think people are, are used to seeing like what your numbers can look like in April and then turning around in in, in September. Like we're just conditioned for the marathon. Yeah. You know, as players, that like, makes sense. Anything shorter than 162, I think guys will freak out. They'll say, "Oh, I wish we could have more off days and blah blah blah,", blah but guys love baseball the the players and they want to play every day or they just want to be away from their families it sounds like what you're really saying <laughs> <laughs> they like being on the road <laughs> what what do you miss most about playing like what's the dumbest thing you miss about not being on a team you know honestly like the food like the food at yankee stadium is so good like i mean I'm basically still like I, I talk to all the guys all the time. I'm you know I'm still working down there with um with Cashman like a special assistant, so I get like all the perks of being around the team and like if I miss it I can go down there and say what's up to the guys and all that stuff. But I think like being around there being like just free to eat all the food all day like we had two great chefs in the in the Yankee clubhouse that so that would just cook me whatever fried chicken like all kind of shit so like i think i'm gonna miss that like having having those chefs were you a dugout guy or a bullpen guy i was a dugout guy and and um i've always been like a in the dugout guy a lot and and later in my career the last like 3 or 4 years i was there i was down there all the time mm-hmm. so that's why you see me getting tossed and shit and i'm starting fights and like because i was spent so much time down in the dugout um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I was, I was, and I, I, the last month of the season, maybe six weeks, I went down to the bullpen. So I was in the bullpen for the last six weeks. And then the, 
playoffs. I enjoyed that too. I mean, I think I was just enjoying my time. Yeah. You know, because I knew it was going to be over. So everything I, I really like was just taken in and um, just loved being a part of. So, you know, whatever. I, I love being in the bullpen too. That was fun. Um, did anyone ever charge the mound on you? Never. I never got charged, man. Never, ever. Were you um, kind of wait, deep down waiting for it, wondering what it would be like to be tested? I was. Yeah, it was like nerve-wracking a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Because I had never never been charged. I only been like out there running in fights, you know what I'm saying? But no, I don't even think anybody's ever like pretended to charge or like stood at the plate and yelled and shit or nothing. Like nothing like that ever happened to me. Not, not that I can recall. Maybe like I have to look at some old clips or something, but. It seemed like every time I was in a fight, it was because of some shit that I started. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> what was I the best? Uh, uh, what was the best fight you were in? Which which team was it? Indians, the, Yankees. Who was it? The Yankees. Uh, we had one here um, in New York against Toronto. When I, I watched uh, Sato, uh, Jorge Posada beat up this left-handed reliever for the to, for the Blue Jays. Man, like it was like. I was screaming. I was screaming at him for him to stop. Like, please stop. <laughs> like, I can't remember that wow. guy's name. But, yeah, that one. And then the 17 fight we had with the Tigers. Um, oh, yeah, that was a good one. That was a great one. And that was one, like, th sometimes those fights can bring you together or they can break you up or, you know, break the team up. That was one that, like, brought our team so close together. And, like, it was, I mean, it was a great fight. Like, we, we had a big fight against the Tigers. And, you know, after that, we were just one. Like, we were all together. And that's what led us on that great run. We went, we ended up getting the wild card, coming back, beating the Indians. And then we know what the fucking Astros did. So, but but the, after that fight in 17 was uh, against the Tigers, you know, that kind of got us rolling. The best, one of the best, I mean, having Pedro pass through my life was still, like, one of, like, the true highlights of my life. Like, prime Pedro, just having that every week. But there was this game in Tampa when he hit Gerald Ice Williams, Gerald Williams. Or, or he dusted him. I can't remember if it hit him or not, or he <laughs> almost hit him. And he kind of waited a second, and then he came out and he charged him. He looked down at his hand. Remember, he yeah, looked yeah. And he looked. <laughs> he kind of rope it oped it. Like he he walked far enough away so the umpire wasn't onto him, and then he went for it, and it was a whole brawl. Yeah. And Pedro was so mad, and he stayed in the game, and. It was, I think, the second best I've ever seen him pitch, other than the famous game in Yankee Stadium when he had the one <laughs> the one hitter against the '99 Yankees. But um, he basically pitched a no hitter from that time on. I think there was a guy who had already gotten a hit, and he was just throwing like 118 miles an hour, <laughs> and he was so mad. He was just like destroying them. But you're right; it's you kind of know what kind of team you have by what happens the first time there's something like that, right? Because it could go the other way and. I can't remember what year somebody we had a really, I think it was the 2000 team. We had a fight and one guy came out of the dugout, but nobody came with them. And it was like a disaster. Yeah. So and, and it can go like, the other way. Watching that, that fight, like the tigers, it destroyed the tigers after that. Like Verlander got traded. You know what I'm saying? Like, him yeah, and, I remember him and Victor or him and Miggy were going at it because Maybe he didn't come out or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, me and Victor Martinez are really close, too. So, um, but I, I don't know how it went. But, like, I remember them them arguing in their dugout. Like, and then the next couple weeks, like, they were just dismantled. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was it was crazy, man. That, like, I, I mean, like you said, like I said, I mean, those fights can either make you or break you as, as a club. So, um, knowing that 
we had all those dudes and and everybody was willing to fight. It was a bunch of young guys at the time too. Judge was young, Tyler Austin was young. Um, you know, me and Sonny were out there mixing it. It was that was a that was a good day. That was a fun fight. We had it we we had a good time after too. I'll tell you the team that the Yankees had in 19 was one of the great bench clearing brawl teams. I don't think they had one, but they had I mean, granted Stanton hasn't played that much, but on paper at least you had Stanton and Judge and Luke Voigt and a couple other the, guys. What was the big one that we had against the Red Sox? Was that 17 or 18? It was one of them where when I felt Joe like... Joe Kelly hit Tyler Austin. Was that oh, 17 yeah, yeah, or 18? Yeah, yeah that, that was. was uh, that was 18. 18. Okay. That was yeah. a good one, too. I felt like we were a little outgunned. You had multiple six-foot... It was almost like you had yeah. drafted a team for the bench clearing brawl. It was like, yeah, hey, we're going to bring in another six-foot-seven guy. Yeah, and then you got Chappie, and then you got Dylan, you got me, and we added Luke Voigt. Like, yeah. It was like, yeah. Tough one. Um, I had a question about when the NBA comes back, what do you think those guys are going to do? I forgot to ask you this earlier from a protest standpoint. Is there going to be a protest? Do you even think it is valuable to send some sort of message before the games for the first game, anything? Oh, 1000%. Those guys are always at the forefront of, of everything. I mean, aside from Kaepernick, um, I think I, I expect 1000% for, for all of those guys to, do something, you know. Um, I don't know what. I'm not calling for them to do something, but I just know they will. You know, they always have, you know, taken that action and, you know, stepped up and being the leaders of, you know, social justice and, and getting things to change. And, you know, I don't think this time would be any different. The Breeze thing that happened this week, we should talk about quick. Mm -hmm. Because he even had teammates coming at him and, and yeah. it was just an old school kind of disaster for a sports team and for him, obviously, but where it's just such the, the timing of it was horrible. It was ugly. And, um, what does that do to a team? How do you heal from that? If you were on, let's say you're on the saints and you want everybody to get past this, he apologized, you know, what are the next steps? Can you recover from something like that? I think you can recover. But but it's it's that's rough. I mean, I think you know Drew has to realize that the America that he lived in and grew up in is different from the one that you know a lot of his teammates and and African American players grew up in. You know what I mean? So um, you know it just comes off a little insensitive, I think. You know, but I, I think you can get past it. Obviously, he's the leader of the team, and if he apologizes and guys know his character and if he's sincere and, and, and he's willing to be educated, I don't think there's a reason why. I don't think there's a reason why they, they can't get past it, especially because they're not playing right now. If this was during the season, you know, it might be a little harder. But, you know, you got so much time to, to mend relationships and, you know, educate yourself and, and, and you know, do better, really. Um, I, think, I think they definitely can get past it. It's a tough situation. And, and, and that's what I was saying earlier, you know. Like, that's why a lot of the times when things would happen in the past and I would be in the locker room, it's just best not to even bring it up or talk about it because we all grew up different places. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different beliefs. But when we in that locker room, it's all about trying to win and one. I mean, obviously, some some situations outweigh everything, like this George Floyd and, you know, a lot of different situations outweigh, you know, not wanting to upset your teammate or make rumbles on the team. And I think this was one of them. And, you know, everybody's been speaking out and, um, you know, hopefully he can just educate himself and, and, and those guys can get on the same page. But the fact that, you know, you had everybody going back at him, um, 
you know, just just let you know the climate of, of what's going on right now. Why do you think for three solid years, people have misunderstood the point of what Kaepernick was doing? I mean, I think it's people, 2020 think, and people are still getting wrong what the whole fucking yeah, point was. I think people wanted to make it about what they wanted to make it about and not what he was telling you it was about. He told us it was about police injustice and this is what I'm taking a knee for and everybody else made it into what they wanted to make it into. And now we're still sitting here looking at police injustice live on fucking TV every day and now everybody wants to... I mean, we just watched a cop take a knee on a black man's back after everybody got mad about Kaepernick taking a knee, like it, it's just symbolic of our country and what's like, what's been going on and people not wanting to have the tough conversations and, and learn and educate themselves on what black America goes through. Have you ever talked to him? Cap? No, I've never talked to him. We have a couple of mutual friends, but I've never gotten a chance to really have a conversation with him now. Well, what a moment where, I mean, Steven Jackson, who I know a little bit. I know you know him too, but yeah, for, I, know, I know Jack well. For him to emerge as, you know, one of one of the main voices here, it's been pretty amazing to watch. It's it's and it's right though. I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's always right on the mark with a lot of stuff that he says. A lot of people don't agree with a lot of shit that he says, but he's not gonna tell you a lie, man. That guy's been through literally everything. From backing up his teammates, going into the stands, to winning championships, to to everything. Like he's been through everything as a as a athlete as a father as a man off the field like off the court like he's just somebody i think everybody can look to and and he's gonna tell you the real so him and matt i mean that's why their show's so great so um you know i'm just excited for them and what they got coming up but you know to see stephen jackson be the voice of, and and emerge as one of the voices of this you know of this movement is great and, and it's just something that i think a lot of people can get, can get behind because he is one of the voices what do you think I should do with my platform over the next next few weeks and months? This, as much as you can. Have as many people as you can on here talking about, you know, um, these tough issues, having conversations, you know, um, learning what we go through and just uh, kind of explaining that to your audience. And, and that's really all we can do. And, and just try to educate people, inform people, and, you know, hopefully they, they, they can, you know, the minds that we need to change can get changed for sure. All right. I, I want to say I could have gone four hours, but I want to save stuff because I, I hope we get to do this a couple more times over the next few months. So, um, yeah, for sure. And no, I'm looking forward to it. This is great. Finally. Thank you. Yeah. It's nice to uh, finally do this, but I really appreciate you. And thanks for coming on. No problem. All right. Thanks so much to CC. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Thanks to campaign zero. Don't forget about the eight can't wait campaign. Uh, you can donate if you want. DeRay told me that uh, they've gotten a lot of donations because they've they've done some, you know, some good promotion slash publicity of this new project that they have. And I think it's resonating with people. And you heard him say in the podcast on Tuesday that they are low on resources. So if you have the means and if you care about that, go to Campaign Zero or check out the uh, hashtag 8Can'tWait and you can find out all about that. That's it for me. Please enjoy the weekend. Please stay safe. And I'm not sure if I'm going to see you Sunday night or not, but uh, I'll be back here in the next couple of days with some sort of podcast. So see you then.